Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting here on multiple stations across North America, on the Big Talker, 106.7 FM, and on Saga 960 AM in the Peel region of Ontario, Canada. My name is Yael Ososki. I'm one half of your host, broadcasting from the home studio in Vienna, Austria. And I'm joined, as always, by my colleague David Clement, who's out there in Toronto. David, how goes it, good man? It's going well. It's going well. Um, very excited getting all of uh, all of my stuff in order for a trip to Europe, um, which you will be accompanying me on. Um, so it's going to be good to get the gang back together. Um, headed to Italy. Um, feels kind of strange given the fact that we haven't really done much traveling um, over the last uh, two years, it seems. But oh. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, haven't done much traveling over the last two years, it seems, but uh, yeah, very much excited for it. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, it's yeah. going to, I think, uh, well, I've been doing pretty well, uh, apart from uh, this a brand new lockdown for the unvaccinated that's happening across Austria. Um, we can maybe talk about that a bit later, but I'm definitely looking forward to Italy. Um, we'll definitely try to record while we're there, David, to have our uh, program grow uh, come out from uh, Venezia, and uh, that could be very interesting for our listeners. You guys can always listen to our previous episodes over there on consumerchoiceradio.com. If you are enabled with podcasting 2.0, uh, you can also listen to our show there, and you can stream some sats, send us a little bit of Bitcoin. You can do that over there um, when you're listening. So, uh, David, we've got some great interviews lined up for today. Uh, number one, we have uh, a freshman Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who's unveiled a very exciting legislation. Uh, it is the Cannabis uh, Legalization Decriminalization States Reform Act. And we have Kirti Nuti of Net Choice. Uh, we have two different topics, uh, but a lot of stuff to get through. Great interviews. I think uh, the listeners are really going to appreciate this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <clears throat> especially for for uh Representative Mace. I mean, to have a Republican bring forward what I think is probably the most well thought out um proposal in regards to cannabis in the US is quite encouraging, um especially from someone who has not necessarily had the the best things to say about the Republican Party over the last 5 years. Um so it's great to see um, some some rising stars, um, and then it's also, I mean, it's also great to see that um, the the member of Congress who has been carrying the banner since Mark Sanford's departure is living up to the standard that he set in regards to principled uh, conservative values, and so yeah, very excited for that one. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna tr- give you that. In uh, the next segment, after we go to commercial, and uh, we will put that up over on our YouTube page, so you can just search for Consumer Choice Radio and uh, listen to that interview there again. Uh, So apart from that, David, uh, we'll be talking cannabis legalization in the next segment. We'll be talking everything antitrust and technology and what's happening in D.C. when it comes to the tech firms uh, later in the broadcast. But there's a couple things that are happening now. Um, I know that it's a, it's a trying time in many areas. We have uh, COVID stuff that's ramping up once more. I mentioned the 
lockdown for the unvaccinated that's happening here in Austria. Was able to witness that first uh, firsthand. How does that work? So does that like you're not allowed to go anywhere? Basically, it means you can go out in public, um, but the second that you enter a place of business or you're in a public square, kind of a public area, they actually do, and I confirm this, seeing it today at the mall, uh, they do have police officers who are asking individuals for their vaccination pass. So if Whoa. you do not have this pass, you are not allowed to go to restaurants, can't go to bars, can't go to museums, can't really go to any enclosed space. Technically, if you are not vaccinated, you are not allowed to leave your home, but for going immediately to work, going to a medical appointment, or to go get tested for COVID. Whoa. So you couldn't, like, go and get a takeout order from a restaurant? Technically, no, not at all. And um, oh, wow. most restaurants that I've seen have not, if you are doing takeaway, have not asked for the Vax Pass. Uh, you are required to wear a mask, but you, some of them actually have. And um, the strictest that I've seen is like Starbucks. And these guys are like asking for your ID, you match it to your pass, this and that. You got to keep your mask on the entire time until you're settled and there's no one around. Uh, I mean, it's... It's next level, and uh, there's an interesting little mini-documentary that um, Freddie Sayers of Unheard.com did uh, here in Vienna interviewing people. Um, I'm kind of in the minority here because everybody seems to think it's a great idea and wonderful, uh, even though cases are skyrocketing no matter what. But uh, that's neither neither here nor there, David. <laughs> I, I guess I'm too North American in my veins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even here in Ontario, we have, like, if you... You you can eat outside at a restaurant um, if you are not vaccinated. You can get meals to go, so that would require you to go in. But if you're getting it to go, you can. You don't have to provide proof of vaccination. So there are some some uh, exemptions there. So this seems like this is stepping things up a little bit. And they do have the medical uh, certificate that uh, you know if you have gotten COVID recently and you've recovered. Um, so that's actually now only good for six months. So after that six-month period, after your last infection, uh, basically you have to get a, a vaccine in order to, to be admitted anywhere. And if your second dose is nine, pass, uh, nine months past, you must get a booster. So that is coming up for a couple of people who um, got them fairly early. Uh, I'm not on that list until about February, but uh, yeah, that time's coming. Interesting. Yeah, the the exemption thing, I mean, that's something that we don't have here, at least to my knowledge. So there's no equivalent of showing up to a restaurant and showing that you are recovered within a certain time period. It's just whether or not you're vaccinated. Um, So we don't have any clarification for that. Not a good policy. (laughs) No, no, I think you should probably have some sort of, as they've done with flying, um, and I think at most borders, um, you can click the box that says I can provide proof that I have recovered, um, from COVID-19 and I'm within or beyond the 14 days of recovering or whatever it is. So it's like some of them have exemptions for that, but that hasn't been incorporated into any of the stuff locally here in regards to restaurants or sporting events and, and whatnot, which... I mean, it's strange. I could understand why it might be logistically difficult because 
I haven't had COVID, not that that I know of. So I don't know whether you get like, do you get a certificate afterwards? I don't know. Do you have to go to the doctor after the fact and get like a doctor's note? I I have no idea what that looks like, but um, it is it is strange that we don't have uh, an accommodation for that. So uh, you guys are listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We are a project of the Consumer Choice Center, where David and I are both active doing campaigns for consumer choice around the world. David, last week we were able to play some snippets of your testimony at the New York State Assembly in Albany, New York, talking about Mm -hmm. electric vehicles, talking about dealer franchise laws. Um, Apart from the content, you know, just give us the give us the behind the you know window dressing uh, sort of approach. What was it like, sort of uh, being there in the state house and testifying? You know, what, what was that kind of like? It was pretty cool. I mean, it was very so. First off, it was very formal um, in regards to how it's set up. You have the committee members in front of you, this big kind of auditorium. Um, but man, did it ever go long? Um, I was thinking that there there are like ten people presenting uh, they said that they were giving people 10 minutes each uh, and that slowly turned into what I thought was going to be a two-hour affair into what was a eight and a half hour affair so it got rather long-winded um, and there was there were some entertaining parts as well entertaining and irritating parts where the dealers association were basically saying that like Middle America was going to fall apart if if these EV companies were allowed to sell direct to consumer. And it's like, well, I mean, there are 22 states where this is allowed, and the sky has not fallen. Uh, the The economy is fine; people are okay. Like, um, so yeah, it was it was very good on that front. Um, and other than the long drive, it was a it was a great experience. Yeah, that was cool. You got to drive and see a little part of the upstate new york drive across the lines and you know you're able to go through the border and everything uh would you recommend going through the border again how did that go for you actually uh so getting to going across the border was as easy as it was prior to covid uh, the u.s border um, okay. coming home i had to have a negative pcr test from within 72 hours and because it was a day trip my I did a negative PCR test the day before I left in Canada, and that was good, which kind of shows you that the whole process is silly. And now they've just announced that they're going to get rid of that re- okay, requirement. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, oh, okay, I had to go through the hassle. But I'm glad that people no longer will have to do that. I mean, because it just it doesn't really make much sense if you're if you're driving, as so many Canadians do, you're driving to New York State for the day. Um, there's really no need for you to get a COVID test to prove that you can come back. And then if, if if they're allowing for you to technically get one in Canada because it's in within the time frame, it's like, well, that's it defeats the whole purpose. It's just for show. And it's expensive. Um, yeah, there's so. a lot of uh there's a lot of COVID security theater. You know, we could probably mm-hmm. dedicate a, a lot to this, uh, but yeah, you know, probably get banned at some point <laughs> regardless. <laughs> uh yeah, a lot of that that's happening. Really excited for next week though, Dave. That's gonna be very cool. Uh you know, reunited in the um, Italian canals. I don't think I've even seen you really since we started doing this show. I think uh, January 2020 was really the last time I saw you, and that's when we launched. Yes. Yep. I haven't. We have not seen each other in person since January 2020, which seems strange for a guy that you talk to pretty much every day. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, who knows? You might be wearing a mask every time you're on a video call. So I don't even know what you look like, really. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so like, is he even real anymore? Do. Yes. That's what the beards do to males. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I know we'll have some good tales there. Uh, we'll be there with our colleagues and brainstorming what else we're going to be doing for this year, for next year, any other campaigns on consumer choice, innovative technology, smart policies. And as always, if you guys have any ideas or if you have you know issues that are impacting you, we're very open to hearing them. You can always write to us, hello at consumerchoiceradio.com, and uh, we'll get plenty more there. Uh, David, we are uh, coming up now to our interview with Representative Mace. I was very excited for this one, as were you. Uh, we're seeing that her bill is being talked about much more. Uh, it's it's great to have her on. You know, do you have any any kind of uh, preview that you can give to some of our listeners, just to tease it a little bit? I would just say, so for people who are maybe averse to Republican politicians, take the fifteen minutes, listen to to Nancy Mace, and just hear how refreshing it is to hear a Republican from the South, talk about an issue in a way that is appropriate given the national context of the conversation on cannabis, um, but at the same time applying what are supposed to be the bread and butter um, principles of republicanism to the issue of legalization in regards to overtaxation, overregulation. Um, and as a Canadian who's covered cannabis since pre-legalization, I, I mean, there's just a lot in this bill that has learned the mistakes that have been made elsewhere, whether that's California or Canada. Um, so very refreshing to, to have a Republican speak on this issue in that way. So um, do stay tuned for that. That will be coming up right after uh, our short commercial break here. All right, stay tuned to Consumer Choice Radio. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM, and on Saga 960 AM in the Peel region, Ontario. We have, uh, you know, we've had many debates and conversations on this program. We've talked a lot about some forward-looking legislation, trying to really understand and get the lay of the land as to what's happening. And we are very lucky and honored to have on our program today, U.S. Representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina's 1st Congressional District. She has introduced an amazing bill, uh, one that we have been very supportive of, uh, that deals with cannabis decriminalization and trying to change the scheduling up there in D.C. So, Congresswoman Mace, thanks so much for coming on the program. And thank you for having me. So there's a lot of things that have come out about the bill. There's been analysis on the left and the right. Uh, Before we get into that, Mm -hmm. though, we'd love to hear a bit more about your story. Obviously, uh, mm-hmm. South Carolinians, North Carolinians who, who might be listening might be more familiar with some of your work in the state. 
Uh, but let us know a bit of your story because we've read things about you in Politico. We've seen you know some of the headlines. Uh, you seem like someone coming out of the gate who's a maverick, but uh, give us the real spiel. Right. I think the headline last one I read was something like the curious case of, of Nancy Mace, quite frankly. But I represent South Carolina's first congressional district, which is uh, the southern coast of South Carolina, from just north of Charleston all the way down to Hilton Head and mostly coast with a, a few towns inland as well. And I grew up in South Carolina. I was actually born um, at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, because my dad was in the Army for 28 years and retired a one-star general and uh, retired to Charleston where I grew up. And I actually, I'm a high school dropout. I dropped out of school when I was 17 and uh, would eventually get my high school diploma equivalent by taking some college classes when I wasn't waiting tables at a Waffle House on the side of the interstate. That was one of my, my first jobs uh, out of school when I dropped out because my parents said, if you're going to stop going to school, then you've got to start going to work. And, and that was my job. And I learned some really tough lessons during some very tough times in my life. And I most importantly learned about the value of hard work um, in this country. And I also learned about you know the American dream. If you have a dream and you set some goals, you work hard, you can achieve it. And uh, in 1996, the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina would allow women in. And uh, I went and graduated in three years at the top of my class and turned my life completely around from that experience. So I guess you could say um, I learned to fight <laughs> while I was there, right? Uh, fight for things that I believe in, uh, learning about having confidence to believe in yourself. And if you believe in yourself, then others will believe in you. I think that's true in business. That's in politics. That's when you're raising your kids. And uh, I'm a single mom of two kids. So that's applicable there as well. And it's important, you know, that kind of confidence when you're, uh, legislating up here in Congress, most importantly as well. But also, you know, I learned at the Citadel about having courage and courage to speak up for yourself, speak up for others, and even courage uh, when it's important that we don't always toe the line, right? If we're, uh, if there's something that's important to us and our values that we should speak out against having the courage to do that regardless of the repercussions. And uh, I think those are important values that have are some of the reasons why I'm here in Congress today and seeing um, a little bit of success in my first year. And, and speaking of not always towing the line, um, you have introduced the State's Reform Act, mm -hmm. which would move to decriminalize cannabis. Um, there's a lot to parse out in it. It's certainly a very consumer-friendly approach to cannabis decriminalization mm -hmm. slash legalization. But why is now the time uh, for, for Congress to make a step like this? Well, it's important. This is not a, this really isn't a partisan issue. And in my home state of South Carolina, I know that it's a 70-30 issue and 70-30 and, uh, on medical cannabis, at least. Um, South Carolina today, we allow and permit CBD. And this particular bill wouldn't change what states are already doing. And it's been about 25 years since states have started ignoring the Schedule One status of cannabis and implementing their own reform. So in South Carolina, we allow CBD, <laughs> excuse me, in Florida, they have medical cannabis. In places like California and Colorado, they have um, full adult use, adult use. And so <clears throat> when you look around the country and you see there are 47 states that have cannabis reforms, all but three have nothing. It's Idaho, Kansas, and um, Nebraska that have no cannabis reforms. They don't even have CBD. Um, but when you look at the patchwork that's happening around the country and then you realize the federal government doesn't have a plan, they don't have a framework, we're not taxing it or regulating it. And if you want it done in a responsible way, then Republicans have to lead on this issue and have to have a seat, not only a seat at the table, but we have to have a voice. And this particular piece of legislation takes into account what 
how what and how each state is different and it wouldn't afford it wouldn't enforce wouldn't force cannabis uh on every state unless they wanted it to but if they do have it in any way shape or form then there's a three percent excise tax and the funds from that go to ensure that uh we keep our kids safe ensure that we have funding for states that have opioid pandemics and epidemics in their states ensures that um we have good community policing programs uh ensures that vets have mental health funding and so um, it's a really solid bill that looks at uh, looks at the measures that have been either filed by Democrats or Republicans or that have been discussed or presented as potential bills, uh, including Senator Schumer, who has who has not yet filed his bill this year. Um, this is an issue that many Republicans and Democrats ran on, and I sort of look at myself like, why aren't we doing this? This isn't hard. <laughs> if you regulate it, regulate it like alcohol, um, then it conforms in a way that that uh, that is approved by every state today. It's literally turnkey right now um, based on what's already happening in all but three states in this country. And, um, you know, CNBC called it passable. Fox Business last night said it's one of the, it's the best bill that's been filed on cannabis. There's something for everyone, whether you are Republican or Democrat. If you are pro-cannabis or even anti-cannabis, if you're pro-cannabis, this taxes and regulates it and allows it to be legal in your state where it already is. If you're against cannabis, you know, this doesn't force a one-size-fits-all cannabis across all 50 states. So um, I try to make it palatable for everyone, regardless of your political affiliation or where you live, that it respects the rights of states and federalism, which is a very conservative-minded uh, viewpoint. But also, um, it has measures in there that would be palatable to Democrats as well. It's a really solid, thought-through, thoughtful piece. You're listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We're speaking with Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who has just introduced uh, the state's reform act uh, that would look to really reshape uh, what cannabis law would be in our country. And Representative Mace, one point that you kind of mentioned there with uh, Senator Schumer is that there have been a lot of proposals on the Democratic side that have been discussed and talked about, mm -hmm. and they've had power now uh, for a good little while. We haven't seen anything, uh, but I know that there are many tenets of this legislation that actually hit against many Democratic proposals uh, particularly, we're talking about taxation. Uh, we're talking about the agency mm -hmm. that I would actually regulate. What were some of the problems with what you've heard about some of the Democratic proposals when it comes to cannabis at the federal well, level? Tax, tax is being, for first off, the tax is being way too high. Schumer's bill is, is a 10 to 25% tax threshold in the first few years, which really is it's untenable. Uh, you look at markets like California that have full adult use, recreational use cannabis. They have they have a black market, which all that does is fund the drug cartels, right? And continues, uh, you know, the problem we have at our southern border as well. But when taxes are high, um, people will go to the black market because they just can't afford what is in the legal market. And so we have to keep taxes very low in order to ensure that that illicit markets do not pop up around the country. That is one of the biggest distinctions of this bill. And then the second distinction, I would say, is the way that it would be regulated uh, very much like alcohol, where, you know, you might have barley and wheat, you know, regulated under USDA for the growing. The same thing would happen with this. Products would be like alcohol regulated under ATF and then the interstate commerce piece of it under TTB. And then I'm going to call it FDA light. Um, there's not a lot of jurisdiction over with FDA except for medical uses and states can determine medical uses, but the bill um, protects uh, the rights of states to have medical medical cannabis um, and allows some oversight by FDA um, under the medical portion of it, both on labeling and then um, for those that will use it for medical purposes in those states. And so it's a really, I think, thoughtful 
and I, I spent nine months on this bill to make sure that I got it right. And I wanted to make sure that it was a serious piece of legislation that was comprehensive, but also clean and simple, that it just provides this framework for the federal government to get out of the way of what's already happening today across the country in all but three states. Yeah, I think, um, so from my perspective, um, I've written about cannabis legalization in Canada quite extensively. And when I read the bill, immediately I thought, whoa, this would avoid many of the hiccups that happened in Canada in regards to it being overtaxed, Mm -hmm. the pharma-grade regulations that hindered production, which also feeds the black market, because if it's not accessible in the early stages, well, then where do people go? They go where they've always gone. Um, So I, I certainly commend you for that. Who else has joined forces with you um, to push to have this bill passed. Yeah, another thing I want to add, too, that I forgot to mention, too, there are provisions in here that would prohibit uh, the legal age would be 21, and there would be a financial incentive to ensure states uh, conform to the legal age of 21, except for when it's medically prescribed. Um, There's also some criminal justice elements to it as well. But um, in terms of the folks that have supported this bill, we have folks on the left and right side of the aisle. We have everyone from Americans for Prosperity, the Cannabis Reform Alliance, Global Alliance for Cannabis Commerce, um, USCC. We also have Concerned Veterans of America, the Law Enforcement Action Network, um, you know, folks as well. Um, We've got folks both in law enforcement and veterans. And then we have in the original co-sponsor list yesterday, there are five Republican co-sponsors. I'm angling to get a a handful more this week. And then we're already talking to different Democrat offices um, in the House and in the Senate who have read this bill and were impressed by it and would like to work on it with us. And so um, in order to do cannabis, this kind of legislation whether what starts in the House or the Senate, we've got to have some bipartisanship. And so I'm working now to add to the growing list of Republicans that are supporting the bill, and then we'll work toward getting Democrats on board. And we're in talks with many offices and uh, to get there, and I'm really excited about it. But I want to do the legwork first and prove to everyone that this, is, this thing has legs. Republicans will support it. And then, um, you know, work on work with Democrats on the other side to, to try to get this thing done or move the ball forward, because um, with the lack of, of any other bills right now that aren't bipartisan, we're not going to move forward on this issue. And uh, clearly, Americans across the country want change. They've been changing their state laws for 25 years and continue to. And because a vast majority of the voters in this country want this kind of change. And so this genie is not going back in the bottle. And all we're doing at the federal level is we, are, we aren't taxing it, we aren't regulating it, and we're not doing it in any way, in a responsible manner. Um, and this changes all of that. Yeah, speaking of change, it's 2021 and talking about uh, reforming mm-hmm. cannabis on talk radio. So I love that. But uh, Representative... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, too, yeah, I was going to say one more thing. Normal has endorsed the bill, too. That was the, the left side. So, um, you know, I have everyone on, I have folks on the Republican and Democrat side in terms of um, cannabis groups and those kinds of things that are supporting the legislation as well. So Representative Mace, apart from uh, being young yourself, it is your first term in Congress, a freshman, fresh woman, mm-hmm. as they would say. Uh, what are some of the other priorities that you have uh, to represent uh, your constituents in the 1st Congressional District of, of South Carolina? I know there's a lot of issues out there, a lot of key votes, yeah. uh, but what are some of the other topics that you're definitely focusing on uh, for your voters back home? 
Well, certainly inflation jobs in the economy is really top of mind to everybody. I mean, steak is up 25%. Every time I go to the grocery store, and we're, we're all paying more for, for basic food and even gas when we go to refuel. Um, those issues are really important, ensuring that spending doesn't continue to be out of control and that we keep taxes down. And that's really hard when Republicans are in the minority. Um, the border is a big issue in the Carolinas as well. Every time I do a town hall, we have many questions about what's going on at the border. Um, and then aside from that, as a freshman Republican, I have um, I sit on the Transportation Committee. I sit on the Veterans Affairs Committee and Oversight. And I'm actually the, the ranking Republican on a subcommittee and oversight about civil rights. And this so far this year, I've passed three bills out of the House as a Republican in the minority and as a freshman, one on civil rights issues, one on due process, and then one on a Gold Star Family Scholarship Funding Mechanism out of the Veterans Affairs Committee, and then another on cybersecurity. And, um, you know, although I'm conservative, I have a habit of reaching across the aisle to get things done because I was hired to do a job and I'm here to work. And I work incredibly hard each and every day to deliver on the promises I made when I was running. And uh, the States Reform Act, this cannabis bill is a promise that I made on the campaign trail as well as are all the issues that I'm working on from from civil rights to um, to spending and, and taxation and uh, the fiscal policy that will get us out of this mess. All of those things are very important to voters in my district, my state, my, in our country. So um, I'm working my tail off and I'm loving every minute of it. Well, Congressman Mace, thank you uh, very much for coming on the program. I hope that we can have you back on the show during your victory lap once this bill is passed. (laughs) And uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me today. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM and Saga 960 AM in the Peel region of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I am joined for this hour uh, for... A good interview. It's unfortunately a repeat because uh, we had technical issues last time, but we have Kirti Nuthi on. She is the public affairs. I believe you're not manager at NetChoice anymore. You told me you got a you got an upgrade. I'm is that manager. Right? Oh, you are the manager. Great. She's the public affairs manager at NetChoice. A great organization. Uh, you can see more of what they do over on their website. Plenty of defense of the great new creative economy and the great uh, industrial entrepreneurial uh, startups that are really making a difference in their economy. Kirti, thanks so much for coming on Consumer Choice Radio. No, thank you so much for having me. So let's talk about, cons- uh, well, consumers and antitrust. I want to get into the antitrust question because I know uh, Senator Klobuchar is out there. She is, uh, with her own book, making the case of why we need to be breaking up particular companies. And I, I think you probably saw this article, uh, but she was teaming up with Tom Cotton. And uh, there was actually this interesting revelation that uh, they're calling for the breakup of you know Amazon and the larger companies. Uh, and actually headquartered in their respective states are, I believe, is it Walmart and is it Target? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, Walmart and Target, good old Minnesota and Missouri. <laughs> yeah, so tell us a little bit about Senator Klobuchar's sort of antitrust acts, uh, why she wants to grind that, and perhaps why that could be problematic to not just, you know, companies, but to also users of many of these platforms that we rely on. Yeah, so in the last two, three months, Senator Klobuchar has come out with two really major bills with regards to changing competition and how business works in America. Um, They both have really long names, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act and the Platform Competition and Opportunity Act. So two 
very long, not easily acronymed bills, but essentially what both of them do is they try to take how America's free markets run and turn it on its head, changing competition policy um, in such a way that they really hyper-target five businesses, five online businesses that I'm sure you and I both use on a semi-daily, semi-weekly basis. Um, the names are household names at this point, but her entire point of view on it is American antitrust has failed. These companies who have provided free services, low cost services, um, and like continuous innovation, we need to break them up because that specific set of businesses is not good enough and harms consumers. So she's built bill after bill, essentially trying to take down online businesses in what I would call anti-tech fervor and to like capitalize on the fact that sometimes businesses make bad decisions and we need to hold them to account. Yeah. Yeah. That we, we know that many of these companies make bad decisions. Does that mean that we need to use the government to break them up is like kind of a whole other question. And yeah. related to that, uh, I want to point to an article of yours in fortune magazine, fortune, uh, magazine to protect American innovation, we must let websites keep moderating their own content. So this is very related because we're talking about the inner workings of many of these platforms. Uh, there are questions of Section 230, whether it should be repealed. The left and the right, they're coming together in a kumbaya moment. Uh, but you say this would actually be very dangerous. Uh, talk of reopening Section 230. What is that about? I think it's incredibly important that when we're talking about regulation in general, we try to make sure that big government doesn't mess it up. Um, and what we're seeing is American antitrust legislation affecting content moderation, specifically how content moderation works or tying Section 230, which seems like the big boogeyman right now, to antitrust and saying that both of them together need to be one legislative proposal. Um, in fighting antitrust, Congress on the House side didn't think about content moderation when they were building their antitrust proposals. And so essentially made content moderation almost something that had to be on the chopping block in their proposal. And so in that piece, I kind of argue that we need to split both of those. It's a clumsy approach to let antitrust affect content moderation and content moderation affect antitrust because the fact that websites get to pick how they moderate inherently breeds competition amongst online websites. Like I go to Reddit for user-based moderation. There are like user moderators who track down subreddits and make sure that we enjoy them the way we want to. That doesn't happen on Instagram and that doesn't happen on TikTok. Those are completely different websites with like TikTok being video focused. They have to really focus on images and videos Instagram gets to do images and posts. And then you've got like Facebook and Twitter, which are just like all of it at once. I think that in and of itself is digital competition. There's digital innovation on what websites get to pick and choose on what content goes up and what content goes down because of what they're picking gets to stay up. Um, when we discuss potential antitrust violations, adding content moderation to the mix, leads us to two big government approaches of like over-moderate it, Congress gets to tell us what goes online, including what we get to put online, or under-moderation and then 
every website becomes slightly not okay, like more 4chans, more 8chans, whatever that's called now, more unmoderated internet where, I don't know, but I wouldn't want a nephew or a niece of mine sitting on a website where everything is allowed in the same way. I don't want to wake up in the morning and like scroll on an app where I'm seeing some very hateful speech. If antitrust gets involved, that could be the option. I see. Yeah. And uh, I mean, talking about how moderation works, I mean, there's very vibrant communities for this. Um, I, I actually, I tried to submit a Bitcoin article to uh, Reddit and I'm just getting shredded by the comments saying, there's no new information here, Brr, downvote, all this kind of stuff. It's like, guys, come on, please. Uh, I have a, a generational, generational question is, um, Generation Z or Z for our Canadian listeners, uh, what is their, their kind of view, your kind of view on many of these platforms and what the laws should be? Because I think a lot of this is being driven in Washington. It's being driven by a lot of elite journalists who are in New York or D.C. and, and have a particular view and relationship with many of these platforms or with technology. But what of the younger generation? Do they hold these, these same views that we need to have antitrust or that uh, we should have you know, more intense government scrutiny of, of all this online content moderation? What, what is that approach? I'll say there's like two different points of view I have on this. As a social media manager, I have to use the platforms we're talking about, like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter hit target audiences that I have to use professionally. 5.30 hits and I am not seen on these platforms, mostly because for me and for how I look at all these legislative proposals as a Gen Z, the platforms in question are almost like already something I don't use. So it just doesn't even process as why we'd need to regulate them. I don't use Facebook very often outside of work. I don't use Twitter very often outside of work unless I want to spam the internet with my dog. Um, and I barely use Instagram. I spend a lot of time on like TikTok and like Reddit, which I'm sure in five years, like the 12 year olds now will be laughing at me and calling me old um, because something else will come along. Like I remember when I was 12 and Tumblr was everything and I had the, I had such a big Tumblr world and now I don't even touch it in the same way that like when I was 12, I used Facebook and now I open it once a day for work and don't open it for personal updates anymore in the same way I used it as a live blog in God, 2012. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, it's funny. Yeah. I, I actually just logged into my Tumblr yesterday to check, to check on things and you know, we had all these followers. And I think what happened with Tumblr is, didn't they not get bought up by Yahoo? They got bought by right, Yahoo. It, yeah, that's right. And there was always this idea, oh, Yahoo controls too much of the internet. They have billions of dollars. They're just, and now we barely talk about Yahoo. I think Katie Corrick is still on Yahoo, but. Twice now. <laughs> oh yeah, Oath. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're, you're totally right about a lot of these platforms. And we did have conversations about TikTok um, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, that was more so though about national security questions, about China's tech. Uh, is that something that is, you believe, going to come back up 
in many of the congressional halls? Are we going to perhaps not talk about TikTok when it comes to breaking up the company? Because obviously they can't because <laughs> it's China. Uh, but perhaps in you know, national security concerns, blocking it, much like Trump tried to do. Do you think there's going to be a, a kind of move on TikTok? Because as far as I know, TikTok is still the fastest growing. Uh, I don't even know the user base now, but it's got to be pretty big. I think it's like over a billion users now within like two years. Um, I I don't know. TikTok is one of those apps that I think is so special because it is like, it and Musical.ly, which I think is now dead, maybe, or has now turned into TikTok. I'm not entirely sure of the history there. Um, it's incredibly unique. So like, it is the only video-focused user platform. Like, we get to decide the content, the like, what shows up on our screen, and it's entirely focused on the video in a way that no other platform is. Because of that, it has such a unique business proposition. As for the national security elements and everything, I'm sure there are foreign policy experts out there who have so much more to say on the ins and outs on why it's both good and bad. Um, as it stands, it's such a unique content moderation model, content model that like, I really hope it sticks around. I don't see any other platform successfully doing what it does until it's a completely new startup. Okay, you don't think the Instagram reels would would become popular enough to overtake it i i thought it when it happened that maybe instagram could do it and then i really saw that like there's something unique about tiktok versus instagram reels for me because like my instagram reels is stuff i've seen on tiktok three months ago um something went wrong in that and so now it's like the archive of another app which is fascinating um and i think if it had more unique content on, on my Instagram, maybe I'd use it. But because I see all of it first on TikTok, I'm like, well, this one's cooler. Also, this one is just video content. I don't have to like filter through dog pictures and baby pictures to get to a video. I can just mindlessly scroll. <laughs> yeah. I, and the cross-pollination part is, is very true. And we see that on Facebook as well. A lot of it is screenshots of tweets. So we're always... <laughs> interacting between all of these platforms and yeah. as much as i'm trying to move all of my friends and everyone i know to mastodon uh, to one of the instances that i run it's hard you know technologically so i can see why tiktok is just super popular because it's easy the next video plays yeah yeah i think that's a great example of why competition is really thriving in this experience in the sense of like we don't just use facebook we don't just use tiktok we don't just use reddit I have different like parts of my life on each of these apps now because there isn't just like one true social media. So I get to pick where I spend my time that day. And maybe it is like seven different social media platforms. And that's inherently robust competition that like breaking up some companies might take away. We're speaking with Kirti Nuthi here on Consumer Choice Radio, Public Affairs Manager at NetChoice. I know you've got a couple of articles that you're cooking up uh, apart from all the busy legislative work that I know you have to do and uh, trying to get these points across. Uh, what are some of the things that you're looking at uh, writing about or perhaps that we should be concerned about as consumers who are interested in these topics and want to be sure that we do have a choice on the nets, as it were? I think the big thing for me and I think the big thing that I worry about for the Internet come twenty, the end of 2021 to 2022 is 
um, Klobuchar and Grassley's bill. So Senator Klobuchar from Minnesota and Senator Grassley from Iowa have this bill that is so selectively targeted that it would just take down businesses of a very high market value and very high user slash business user base and ruin how those services work for small businesses, for consumers, for everybody. And the way that bill works is almost, it gives too much discretion to the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice. And knowing American politics right now, giving like the government giving power to a bureaucratic agency that we don't elect, but our elected leaders elect and then vote on really worries me, especially when like the terms of this bill are so vague. The chair of the FTC or like the lead of the Department of Justice Antitrust Division gets to decipher what terms like critical trading partner means in order to block businesses from doing what they do. Um, so that won't just affect the businesses they're trying to hyper-target. That won't just affect the internet. Like it'll ruin the internet in the short term, but five to 10 years from now, that could affect so many different sectors of the economy that like, I couldn't even predict where this bill could go. As long as a business uses the internet in some capacity and has users in some capacity on the internet, the discretion is just so large. That worries me because that is a sign that antitrust reform to attack tech can affect, like, can affect the rest of the American economy, which means its global impact is very large. Well, there you go. Okay, well, we look forward to that. Uh, Kirti, thanks so much for taking the time and being on Consumer Choice Radio. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check out Consumer Choice Radio for much more. Consumer Choice Radio, hosted by Yael Ososki and myself, David Clement, is a syndicated weekly conversation featuring the latest news, interviews, and expert analysis that covers consumer topics from around the world, focusing on innovation, tech, regulatory policy, and science. Tune in every week to learn why consumer choice matters. You can find all of our previous episodes, interviews, and show notes over on consumerchoiceradio.com, as well as the podcast version of this show. And as always, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you do listen to your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Consumer C Radio, myself at Y-A-E-L-O-S-S, and David at Clement Liberty. And find our interviews on YouTube and Instagram, just looking up Consumer Choice Radio. If there is a consumer issue affecting you that you think that we should cover, email us directly at hello at consumerchoiceradio.com. Thank you again for listening.
COVID-19. Hallelujah. Glory. 